and welcome to the AV Forums podcast for Wednesday the 30th of September. And joining me on this edition, our assistant editor, Steve Withers. This isn't going to have a happy ending. News editor, Mark Hodgkinson. What's in the box? And audio reviewer, Ed Selly. You're no messiah, you're a movie of the week. Five stars. Really enjoyed the podcast. Keep up the good work. That's from Steve Baxter. And thanks for another entertaining podcast. That's from Melton Boy. Don't forget, if you leave us a five-star rating on iTunes, we'll read your name out in the podcast. Can't say further than that. In terms of current competitions, well, as this podcast goes out on Wednesday, the two Blu-rays are finished and gone, although we don't know who the winners are at the time of recording. But if you fancy a Denon AVR-X2200 AV receiver courtesy of Seven Oaks, that competition closes on the 20th of October. Uh, go and uh, try and win that right now. Okay, so let's move on to some hardware news to kick us off. We're going to talk about a- Ultra HD again. It got us in trouble uh, last week. Uh, I think our debate, I think the three of us, Ed, Mark um, and me, we were too realistic. We were, t- we were, we were too t- mean to Steve. <laughs> we were too mean to Steve. So Steve, can the Ultra HD Alliance prevent consumer confusion or is it too late? Well, I think it would have had a better chance if it had been formed, say, two or three years ago, as opposed to this time last year. But um, I, I, mean, I applaud th- their ambitions, that I mean, what they're trying to do, if, based upon interviewing their president, is uh, create a benchmark of quality for Ultra HD 4K TVs going forward and hopefully um, unify certain terminology and then educate consumers as to why they would want certain things like HDR, for example, which is a complex subject that needs to be they need to find a way of putting that across to consumers in a, in a simple and easily understandable way the only thing is that tvs have been, you know 4k tvs have been coming out for what three years now so to start doing this now means there's already a relatively large you know installed base of televisions that maybe don't or certainly in some cases definitely don't get anywhere near the standards that are being suggested for both, well, they've already been agreed, in fact, for things like Ultra HD Blu-ray and will probably be agreed for broadcast TV within the next six months. So, uh, yes, I admire their ambition and uh, their intentions and the reason they were created, but I do think maybe they should have done this at the beginning because a good example of them not sitting down and talking about stuff is 3D. I mean, I don't think this would have actually helped 3D. I think 3D probably would have failed anyway because people weren't interested in wearing glasses at home. But if they'd sat down beforehand and agreed on a unified set of glasses, for example rather than having different glasses for different manufacturers and then having some discs that were you know, exclusive to certain manufacturers and really making it difficult for consumers just to buy into the concept of 3D, then maybe it would have been a bit more successful. I, I think the biggest one was HD DVD versus Blu-ray. I mean, they, they learned the lesson with DVD. They all made their money. They all got their license and paid. There was no consumer confusion. And then they went ahead with the HD. So at least we don't have that to contend with this time around, you know. Uh, competing formats. Um, true, true. Um, yeah, the problem now is not so much competing formats, it, it, it is all the same format. The problem is I think there's been TVs being released, you know, TVs were being released at the, that at the time were cutting edge given what was available uh, and things have moved on pretty quickly. Uh, and there are definitely TVs that people will be buying this year that won't support certain standards next year, you know, in terms of being able to... Full, I mean, they'll work, but they won't be able to take full advantage Yeah, I think you've got, to, you've got to make that, that clear. clear. That, I think you've got to make it clear that it is backwards compatible. So. Yeah, yeah, they will work. Don't get me wrong. I mean, they will display, obviously, the full resolution, um, but maybe they won't be able to display the full colour gamut or maybe um, they may not all be 10-bit and certainly a lot of them won't support HDR. So those are things that that um, you know, need, people need to be aware of. And, and there's a danger of it you know, becoming a bit like the early days of HD where you had HD ready and then you had full HD and some people were a little bit miffed that they discovered their TV wasn't actually 1080p well, to start with. I've got to say that all the 4K TVs, that certainly that I've seen, it's been pretty clear what they will and won't accept. So it's not like you're, you're going in blind. I mean, obviously, maybe the consumer's not that switched on, but... I wouldn't say you're it's going not in... the information isn't there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's like it's, you know you do a tiny little bit of research and you'd know if that TV's going to do it. <laughs> yeah. and, and, to, and to be honest with you, the vast majority of them, and we're talking quite a bit of money, so you would hope that people would at least you know ask a question or, or try and find out about the TV that they're going to buy because we're not talking about cheap stuff when you're talking to 4K. What's entry level now? Eight hundred pounds, six hundred, eight hundred pounds. Some places. Um, that's still a hell of a lot of money to most people to spend on a TV. So you would you would hope that people that are spending a bit more on that they're going to do it, or they're going to ask a question, not maybe not do research, but ask a question. You know, I, you know is this all I need going forward? And for the vast majority of people, it probably is because 
for the vast majority of people, I don't think HDR and 4K are going to, and, and um, HDCP 2.2 and Ultra HD Blu-ray, sorry to come back to this, I'm not being negative, it's just that I don't see the, the vast majority of people buying into those formats to start with. So I don't think it'll be a, an, initially this, this issue that used to be there in the past. Or maybe I think HDCP 2.2 could be a bit of an issue. I think that is important. And there were quite a lot of TVs released that didn't have it in the early and days. And a lot of AV receivers. Yes, and a lot of AV receivers. I think that is going to definitely become an issue with things like the you know, the BT Sport Ultra HD 4K <laughs> box. <laughs> Hang on, Steve. How many people can get that box? How many out of the review team are able to get that? Obviously, Ultra HD Blu-ray will require it. There are things coming down the pipe that are going to require it. And it's not supported by a lot of AVRs and a lot of TVs, so and some projectors for that matter. I think I think that there has to be a way around it, and and I'm sure there will be a product or products <laughs> that yeah. can that can get around that issue. And I'm sure there's one on the market at the minute. There is actually, yeah. but what I'm saying is that for a lot of consumers who perhaps aren't that tech savvy, that's going to be a bit of an issue when they realise they plug something in and it's not going to work. That's going to happen, isn't it? Now, now, do we know what's going to happen with uh, a 4K Blu-ray? Do we know what's going to happen? if somebody does connect that to a non-compliant TV? That is an interesting question. Would it just say something like not compatible or will it just not work? Yeah, or... I mean, we're all assuming yeah. that it's just not going to work, but I would I would have thought it would... You get, a, you get a, there's a built-in message already, like really blocky text saying, I've seen it on a few things saying, it's like a blue background with red crappy text saying, this is not TV, is an HDCP 2.2 compatible. Seen it twice. Really? Yeah. What were you using as a source then? I can't really remember. <laughs> It would have been a 4K box of some sort. I did actually, I do know a guy who has got BT Ultra HD 4K Sport, and he had the problem that Ed just mentioned, which is that his AVR was incompatible, which he didn't realise until he tried to plug it in, and then said, oh, hang on, what's going on here? Luckily, he, he can get around it, but I assume it will be used on anything uh, being released going forward that supports 4K, won't it? As an as an outboard device, obviously not things that are built into the TV Yeah, itself, I mean, if we but... assume things like Sky, Sky's yeah. upcoming, something like that, with a heavy rollout across lots and lots of 4K sets, that's probably going to be a lot of fun. Especially as, if you remember back to the original Sky HD boxes, where the first batch had component video out as a sort of workaround, mm. I don't know if it's going to be physically possible to introduce anything like that on an early, early no, gen. They could do it one with HDMI 1. No, they couldn't, could they? They'd still have to encode, yeah. You know, that that's something which realistically does extend beyond the construct of the forum. Yeah. Sky, Virgin, BT... 4K Blu-ray. I mean, those are four things already that are going to require it. And as Ed says, I think Sky will be pretty big and popular, even if the other three won't be. I suppose it gets more complicated. Uh, someone may have to explain this to me. In terms of if you've got 4K Netflix support in your smart TV, they presumably, they're not subject to the same well, no, encryption it, system. No, it, 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 can't, it's, it's it built. can't change for later on. Um, retrospectively no for, as far as i'm aware it, um, it has to have the havc decoder in it for it to work in the first place yeah. and in terms of uh licensing i think it's it, it's a one-hit wonder so you could find it four or five years down the line if the standards developing for it, you might find it being dropped you don't know it's, right. it, 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 like you said last week ed we're moving into quite a disposable future when it comes to you know yeah. when you're talking about digital stuff um, it, it's dead easy for people to move on. Well, yeah. for some people. <laughs> In fact, we mentioned last week some things have already been dropped on older TVs and stuff, haven't they? Yeah, yeah. totally. Or so, not supported right So, yeah, anymore, I, I agree with you, Steve. I think HDCP 2.2 is going to be a big thing, and, and it's something the industry is going to have to... You, you would hope um, at least TVs from the last year or two, there's something that the manufacturers can do to make them compatible. Otherwise, you're going to have a lot of angry people who have bought 4K well, TVs. Well, yeah, and... I mean, I don't know how big the installed base is. I mean, we've seen some sales numbers, and, and, and you know, they aren't huge, but they're still sizable. There's still a sizable number of people who have bought TVs over the last three years, um, Ultra HD 4K TVs. Hopefully, the majority, I think the majority this year, or all the ones this year, I'm pretty sure, I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, Mark, but they do support HDCP 2.2. I, I can't think of one that didn't. No, nor can I. But last year, I think quite a few maybe didn't. <laughs> there was a lot quite of uh, fiddling going around with them. Yeah. I mean, there were people I, that were doing HDCP 2.2 on top of 1.4. So there were, you know. Yeah, you could switch the input in settings, couldn't you? It's a bit of a minefield, though, uh, going back historically over the last few years. Uh, not not for any fault of the, of the manufacturers necessarily. I think you know things were changing and developing at the same time. So you're going to do what's currently available when you're leasing a new TV. 
But I guess that's the whole point now. I mean, I think that that's what they thought last year. We need to sit down and get some sort of coordinated plan here amongst all the manufacturers because we don't want to end up people using different terms and confusing the consumer. Because <laughs> HDR is the good example, isn't it, where it's, you know, even well, yeah, reading totally. feedback threads on our, on our, you know, and this is amongst enthusiasts who are into this kind of stuff. Uh, there's plenty of confusion out there. We, we've discussed it a couple of times now, and, and there is still clearly some confusion. It's a complex subject that needs to be delivered in, in, a, in a, I mean, also you can look at it, you can see it. If, you can, if you're getting a demonstration, you think, oh, that looks nice. But trying to explain that to a consumer in an easy, digestible, understandable way is actually going to be bloody hard for them, I think. Yeah. Maybe the HD Alliance can use Land of Confusion by Genesis <laughs> as their theme music. Yeah. <laughs> with, with the um, Spitting Image puppets. That'd be well, I, I, I imagine they probably wouldn't want to go all in, but yeah, it would be just set, set things up nicely, wouldn't it? I, I so. guess one way of getting around the, uh, the AVR conundrum, Steve, would be to do the same as what a lot of manufacturers did when 3D came along, and that's to have two HDMI outputs on the back of the player. So your 4K Blu-ray player, if it has two HDMI outputs, you have one yeah. to the AVR, one to your display that has got HDCP 2.2. That would be a solution. I'm trying to think now, the um, Samsung Ultra HD Blu-ray player that was at e um, IFA, I mean, I don't think it was a f completely final model, but certainly the one that was on, the two that were on display, they only had one HDMI output at the rear. But maybe they'll be putting a second one in for them. That would be a, an obvious and simple solution and, a, you know, an easy way to avoid that particular problem. Uh, well, it's one way of getting sales, isn't it? You know, appeal to the to the base that's already there that's going to, yeah. A, buy yeah. into it straight away and may have AVRs or other equipment that's out of date and needs a second HDMI to feed audio. So, Like you say, there's precedent for that already with 3D. Yeah, before. well, Panasonic did it with all theirs, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, Panasonic did it, so. Sony did it with a couple, Oppo did it and all theirs. Um, yeah, it's definitely precedent for it being done, so... I guess at CES we'll find out, because the idea is that the Ultra HD Alliance will create a, a logo, a recognisable logo, um, and a branding system now, so did this now, TV hits certain criteria. Is this worldwide or is this just US? No, this is meant to be worldwide. Um, and if you look at everyone involved, you know they, they do have involved in this now pretty much, all, or, or certainly all the big players. The one area where they are lacking at the moment, and they admitted this in the interview, is they don't have any any members yet from European broadcasters, so Sky or or, you know, or the um, Sky and uh, and and the European satellite broadcasters, and also obviously the, the internet distributors like BT and uh, and Virgin. They aren't there yet. They were holding meetings with them um, just after the show. Um, they were going to be doing that. But clearly, they, they want them on board. They want as many people on board as they possibly can get. And you know uh, that's less of a priority, I think, because obviously there are still debates going on, discussion going on about about broadcasting standards. So it's not quite as urgent, I think, as they felt getting. Ultra HD Blu-ray and streaming to a degree lined up, ready for next year. I think that that was their priority, and then they're going to move on to um, broadcasters. Yeah, but the idea is it certainly it's worldwide. It's not a US centric um, initiative at all. The thing that we keep coming back to is that you know CES it has to be the hard launch this time. You know we had the damp squib that's been this year. Um, IFA we thought they were going to push for Christmas. They really have to. They really have to get the act together by January this year to to get the momentum behind the whole format. Otherwise, you know, they're going to run the risk of not getting that market penetration. If you're there at the start of the year, before the kit comes out for the year ahead, that's the ideal place to start, isn't it? Really? Yeah, and I think they know that too. Well, they said to me that they will be announcing, um, there'll be, obviously, in terms of the UHD alliance, it's going to be everything. But in terms of Blu-ray, they will be announcing them, players and discs at uh, IFA, with the intention of them being in the stores in the US in January. And then and in Europe in early spring. Yeah. And, you know. That's clearer than that, really. There's obviously going to be Fox titles that are the first ones along. Any betting yet on, on what we're going to get? I mean, obviously, Kingsman's been there in the PR material, so I think we could take that as a they've, given. Um, they've announced nine films um, off the top of my head. I can't remember all of them. I know certainly Kingsman, Fantastic Four, um, Exodus, Gods and Kings, Life of Pi. Um, what else did they have on that list? Anything worth watching? This is a problem. I mean, I don't mean to be... Well... I, I'm deliberately trying to be positive good. here, but Kingsman, Kingsman is the like, only one of that great. list that I'd want to watch. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm just, like hey, I'm just pulling your leg, you know. Um, well, I'll tell you what, uh, we'll talk about this later um, um, when we go through the movies coming out this weekend, but um, uh, The Martian opens on, on Wednesday, and that's a Fox title, so that would be a pretty awesome-looking... That opens on Wednesday. Day. Oh, that might just be my first visit to the cinema this year. Mm. So anyway, Fox definitely they've already announced it this year. Is that your short review? Followed by Spectre, followed by Star Wars three this year. Blimey! 
Oh, I just love that response, Steve. Brilliant. Good. Um, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, so Fox have already announced some titles, and they appear to be really bullish, I've got to say. I mean, the president of the United the UHD Alliance. <laughs> the United States. I was going to say Obama. For a <laughs> the president of the UHD Alliance is also the head of technology at Fox, and he's he was very... They, they appear to be very, very bullish about Ultra HD Blu-ray. Which well, he's not who's going to be, to be fair. Yeah, quite, yeah. <laughs> um, but we've also, uh, certainly I know that Sony have announced um, some stuff and, and so have Warner. So there's, yeah, so just, in terms of their HDR um, partner. So it looks like they'll be they'll be there. But you, um, just, you just know Sony's going to do something different, though, don't you? <laughs> yeah. Don't you? They've you, already gone for Dolby Vision. Dolby Vision, haven't HDR they? 10. So there's going to be something else there, like Superbit or... Yeah, well, actually, um, a couple of their Blu-rays are coming out soon, aren't they? Um, they're you know, remastered in 4K Blu-rays with Dolby Atmos soundtracks, which is clearly stuff they've been working on for, for 4K, and I thought we'll, we'll squeeze a bit more cash out of it before we do that. <laughs> out of you, specifically. Yes, yeah, well, uh, yes, I have put orders in for all of them. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm still confident that we'll get a big launch at CES. Like, like Ed said last week, if they don't do that, if they miss that date, they're buggered. Uh, well, well, yeah, it, it just makes it really difficult. If, if they need not to have a big launch yeah. at the beginning of the year, yeah. and really get people's attention. Yeah, and it's and it's a good time to you know build momentum for the following Christmas. You know, build it up, get your economies of scale in place during the year, and then, you know, you can you can have the blitz in in twenty sixteen Christmas twenty sixteen and and really push it to market. Um, that that's where it would work. That's that's what you'd hope, Ed. I mean, you used to work in the industry. You'd yeah. hope that they're looking that far ahead and thinking, well, that's that's what we should be aiming for. Yeah, a year a year's worth of work. You do uh, very early adopters, cynically speaking, use them as beta testers for real world testing with equipment out in the field, um, stuff that may not have bothered anyone in the development phase that can be ironed out and handled. Um, I mean, the kicker at the moment, and I I have been trying to trying to find this out, but I'm afraid it's not as easy as it is. Uh, well, it's never very easy, and um, it's uh, it's particularly diff- opaque at the moment. Is working out beyond the major house brands if platform developers like MediaTek and that lot are in the process of working up their own solutions, because MediaTek is one of those enormous company enormously important companies that you haven't really sort of that, that, that pass frequently unnoticed i mean um the oppo machines and, and many others at, at core level are based on media tech development yeah. platforms and i you don't know i don't yeah and i don't know if they are in the process of working up a 4k blu-ray platform if they are it's a big shot in the arm to the format because that's where both conversely both a lot of high-end players and then also in terms of sort of mass the ability for supermarkets to come out with some exciting brand name product to actually flog alongside it that's where it would come from so you have to hope that they are active but i haven't been able to find that out of course the the other thing that's missing this time around that was there when dvd was around and when blu-ray launched and that was new games games consoles Mm. you know it was Mm. it was the ps3 that really pushed push blu-ray to i mean i remember going out and buying a ps3 just to be a blu-ray player um because it was one of the first ones to market with the capability we don't have that this time around so it'll be interesting to see you know exactly what the uptake is going to be because these players are not going to be cheap when they hit the market to start with i'm going to put my money on on 300 quid minimum yeah i'm I'm going to say something here i can't i can't name any names this is pretty um you know circumstantial evidence of hearsay if you like but um, what i heard was um, um a lot cheaper than you think and we're not going to make any more bl- normal blu-ray players from now on it's just going to be ultra hd 4k blu-ray players to be fair that samsung efa didn't look like an expensive product no did let's not be, let's be clear about <laughs> this i don't mean that in a derogatory sense but this wasn't launch the high end first and and trickle down if okay, they want well, more than 300 350 for that that's wildly optimistic well, it'll be interesting to see what the prices are because I, I mean you know i'm just going on past experiences with formats launching it's always been that and above for the first set yeah, the first true. generation that is true but i don't think they have that option okay well it'll be interesting to see if that's the case because if if they do come in with a 150 quid player yeah you know that that could kick the format on quite quickly well, yeah. I mean, also, if it's bundled with, if if the if television manufacturers are bundling them, that that's another another sort of area of yeah of, of, of you know potential, so to speak. 
it might have to be that way when you're looking at the likes of Samsung and, and Sony and Panasonic, it might be that they, you know you buy a 4K TV, you get your 4K Blu-ray player. Mm. Um, that's one way. I hit, you know, you take a hit, but it's one way of getting uh, uh, some kit out there and start building a market for it. Mm. Even when we're trying to be very positive, it doesn't ooze out of us, does it? <laughs> <laughs> I, I've got to say, I am excited for it. You know, it's just that I will pick and choose my content because it's not going to be cheap when it comes to content. Um, it's definitely it's going to be more expensive than Blu-ray. And Blu-ray is still hovering around about what the twelve to fifteen pound mark. Yeah, the average price is probably fourteen ninety nine for a new for a new Blu-ray on day of release. Obviously, yeah, they, yeah. they they fall in value pretty quickly after that. But so, so you got um, to think nineteen ninety nine. Nineteen ninety nine seems to me like a sweet point for uh, pricing initially. But you know, you think about like I think I said this last week. That if you went, if Ed took the wife to the cinema, I know she's got a Cine World card, Ed. But theoretically yeah. speaking, if you went to the cinema with your wife and you didn't have a Cine World card uh, and you bought two tickets, that's twenty quid. Plus, you got yeah. parking and petrol. You've got to get a babysitter for the for for, for yeah. William. Plus, you've the got, amount you, of alcohol your, I need to consume yeah. prior to it, so I don't kill stand, everyone around me. Going whatever. Suddenly, yeah. you're looking at what fifty quid for a night out of the flicks. So nine ninety nine to sit at home and watch it in cinema quality. That seems like a pretty good deal to me. Oh, be to be honest, I've, I've not had. To, yeah, I was actually uh, unconcerned by the comments on on media pricing last week. That you're, you're for those reasons and more, and the fact I'm so inured to spending painful sums of money <laughs> on records that that you know twenty quid yeah, yeah, seems, seems legit. So, but like uh, you, Phil, yeah. I'll, I'll be quite you know choosy about what I buy on Ultra HD four K yeah, Blu Ray. Yeah, I, 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 partly my Blu Ray purchases have already fallen down anyway because I'm not buy, buying like TV series on Blu Ray, for example. Yeah, a lot of films I've seen at the cinema that I would have bought on spec, but now I won't bother because I've seen them at the Flex. Yeah, so, and and I yeah. won't buy them because I've read your reviews and. and <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but yeah, I mean, when DVD came around, and and I guess there was there was, it was it was a different time. Blah blah blah. You know, play play the music. I was quite prepared to spend my uh, spare cash, my disposable income on on DVDs and stuff like that. And I'd you know I'd be buying stuff that I hadn't, I hadn't been to the cinema to see or anything like that. Just buying it on spec, and I made a lot of mistakes that way. And I I think I bought about one and a half thousand Blu-rays. Yeah, I'm willing uh, sorry, to DVDs. Bet. When it comes to Blu-rays, I've probably bought about fifty. And it's like stuff that really? I really want to watch. You bought fifty Blu-rays. Well, no, not in total. No, no, there's probably more than that, to be honest with you. I mean, I've got a full, yeah. r- full rack sitting through there. Like, Haven't you got a pile the size of you waiting to be watched? <laughs> yeah, but that's a that's a mix of DVD and Blu-ray and stuff. I still buy blue, um, DVDs now and again. Yeah. yeah, if it's stuff that you kind of get on Blu-ray. I'm willing to bet that you, like me, probably have a few DVDs knocking around that you bought back in the I late nineties. Ha- I have uh, bothered around to watching. <laughs> Uh, there's, I, I think they're at my mum's. I've got two massive, big cardboard boxes full. There isn't, there is an issue here. Uh, and I, again, I have to choose, choose my levels of negativity carefully. But <laughs> obviously, we've been discussing new release Ultra HD material. To really, that there's a sort of Joseph Heller esque problem here. That that half the interest in the format will be re-releasing stuff that people really want to see in UHD, but that's only going to happen if you reach a critical threshold of units in the field. Yeah. And you get the feeling that without one side taking a punt, it's just not necessarily going to going to well, work. Going although, to it, looking at it positively, when we moved to DVD, uh, we had to wait for, for the big titles, like catalogue titles. We waited a long time for Star Wars. Spielberg stuff took forever to come Spielberg out. Spielberg stuff it? and Indiana Jones took forever. Mm. Then look at the Blu-ray releases of those. Within 12 to 18 months of the format being launched, some of those titles were hitting the market. Yeah. Star Wars was still bloody late, but um, it was a lot quicker around than it was with DVD. Yeah, yeah, a lot quicker around. So, you know, fingers crossed that... And again, it's going to come down to the, the content and the quality of content. I mean, you're going to have people like us, Steve, who will go and buy things because it's got great picture and great sound and it's a shit movie. <laughs> you know, we, we do that. You know, That's half my collection. For well, you know, Transformers and stuff like that. But you've got to have that for, for testing purposes if, if it's you know, the minimum amount of viewing time spent. But, but again, it's going to come down to the titles that come on the format and they have to come on the format quite quickly. I would say for it to be a success. So I would say, well, I mean, it looks though as though that might well be the case because we've been hearing stories for the last few years. I mean, I know once again from talking to 
the president of technology or the head of technology at Fox, and he said oh, that every Jesus time Christ, they get a name dropping all that bloody <laughs> every every time they get a you know a film out of the vaults to do a new transfer uh, or a restoration, it's it's at 4K. So they've got a, a library of of you know not just new stuff coming out, but also you know like, you know catalog movies yep. that, are, that are ready ready to go in 4k and they've been doing hdr transfers as well for these films so there's, they're ready to go in that sense so there's a, um, there a lot of big classics like the wizard oz and what was the other one gone with the wind and stuff they were all done at 8k mm, not that even long high ago. Resolution, yeah. um and then obviously down converted to 4k and then down converted to, to 2k for blu-ray so those exist as well and, and um, last year there was the news that star wars the original star wars films yep. the ones shot on the actual film <laughs> Had um, had been restored at 4K. Now I, I don't know what version that was, but that again suggests that they've got something ready to go if they want yeah. to. And uh, uh, Wizard Oz, that's going to be one of the HDR things to, to search out definitely because I think yeah. so. Mike So was gives a few hints there, and when I was at Technicolor, it was pretty obvious that that's one of the big t- titles that they're interested in. Well, this is good. I mean, it, it's it's ne- it's absolutely necessary. Uh, it, it can't just be uh, a diet of new release material. No, um, you have to have the catalogue stuff in there, definitely. You need a bit of both, don't you? You want some yeah. new stuff, because yeah. I'll definitely be buying... I mean, come next year, my view would be I'll only buy Ultra HD 4K Blu-rays. Yeah, but because... Steve, you're going to have to go and buy a 4K projector and a 4K TV. Yeah. Well, ah, that's what I was about to say, though. The interesting thing is, because there was another debate going on about not just pricing, but do you want the 4K disc and the Blu-ray? And I was saying, I want both. And the reason I want both is because you can watch the movie, the 4K movie on your, on your 4K system, but then you've got the Blu-ray if you want to watch the extras on the telly in the lounge or something like that. Um, so for me, that makes sense. And the other interesting thing is that The Martian, using that as an example, that's a native um, 3D movie. That, uh, and that's not supported the, on 4K. So you'll, want the, you'll get the 4K movie in 2D and also the Blu-ray with a 3D version, perhaps, um, as an alternative. So... Lots of um, you know, variables there. But, and, uh, and I know I wasn't going to be negative, but 3D, really? <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go see in 3D on, on Friday night. Dick. So there. <laughs> what did you say, Ed? Dick. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's a fanboy. Did you see him reeling off all his Apple stuff earlier on? Yeah. Fanboy. You started it, Phil. Fanboy. Uh, right, so um, let's stay with 4K and let's look at uh, basically stuff that we've been reviewing recently and uh, certainly... The price of 4K TVs is starting to drop quite rapidly. And we're not talking about entry-level models either. We're starting to talk about the CX680, which the review went up last week, that I've been looking at from Panasonic. I mean, you're looking at a pretty feature-packed TV there. It's got all the new smart stuff from uh, Firefox OS. It had all the 4K apps that are available at the minute, so you had native 4K stuff to, well, native-ish 4K stuff to watch on it um, through Amazon and Netflix. Really nice slim screen, great picture quality, well, and out of the box, and it was a retail out of the it was brand new retail out of the box, um, not delivered on a flight case, so it was a proper retail product, out of the box, stunningly close to being accurate. Um, Is that the Panasonic? The Panasonic, yeah. I mean, yeah, they've been this so year. accurate this year. So you got to think, eight hundred pounds. That is a cracking little deal for a 50-inch screen, which you can't use it in pitch black. It's an LED LCD TV. You can't use any of these in pitch black surroundings without seeing um, drawbacks on screen. So as long as you've got some ambient light, and we always say have some ambient light in the room, whether it's a bias light behind the screen or whatever, in those conditions, really, really stonking, good picture, great value and uh, there's some other screens as well i've noticed recently 50 55 inch screens starting to hit the 799899 price mark and they also have most of the features i mean one of them's a samsung mark yeah, uh, the one i've just reviewed is sony 8505 it's 55 inch i think it started life out at nine, 1900 pounds it's now 999 55 inch top top ish of the range sony tv and yeah. that'll be HDCP 2.2 because the Panasonic was. Yes. On, so, yeah, so on all inputs. Apparently. Yeah, completely future proof. The only thing is, no HDR, but they're not HDR screens. Um, and the colour so, gamut would be what? Probably Rec 709 or just above it. Um, just, it was it was it was a bit wider than 709, but it was nowhere near DCI. Um, so uh, and you would only put it in that if you were running the colour points back using the CMS. Otherwise, stick it in native, which is almost bang on 709. I worded it slightly controversially, but it, do, it does seem as though pricing is, is already plummeting 
on these TVs and you're kind of wondering... Yeah, but you know, we've just been having that conversation about 4K Blu-ray, Steve. I, I, <laughs> haven't we? You know, we, we think it should be a bit higher, but actually in reality, it's probably going to be a bit cheaper. And looking at these screens, um, I think that, again, Ed, you've worked in the business, but I think um, certainly the other side of the coin, you have to look at getting some product out there at a reasonable price to start building up word of mouth, start building up a marketplace. There, I think there's a couple of different things at work here. Um, you've got at least one brand that still is just, their business model involves sac- just market saturation, just having selling the vast majority of their sets at, li- at very low margin points, but just selling an awful lot of them. Um, I, I also, I don't know, with, you know, let's face it, the LCD, LED, LED LCD televisions have been in production for some time now. So the actual refinements of the pro- of the manufacturing process are all in place. You could, I suppose, cynically see this as an opportunity to get as much out of these plants as you can. I, I, don't, I don't think you're being cynical. I think manufacturers will tell you that. And, and that, that would certainly certainly shape things i mean i've had um, it said to me steve you'll have had it said as well that that really what they're trying to do is push on and try and make the best well they say this they're trying to make the best L- led lcd tvs they can but basically it's about selling in- inventory that's, that's obviously sitting yeah there. they're trying to squeeze every last ounce out of this uh, technology before they, they're, they're forced to move on to something else um and i guess as Ed's just said you know if you're using existing infrastructure which doesn't require a great deal of retooling to make a 4k panel as opposed to a 2k panel there's probably a lot more margin even in the cheaper TVs than yeah. it would get from a full HD TV now. Yeah, and that, that's ultimately what costs plasma its life, isn't it, Ed? The yes. fact that, the fact that it, 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 it couldn't be too. in too smaller quantities yeah. and, and, and all of that. And then, obviously, if you, you know, let's face it, at the moment we only have two large brands who have gone OLED and both of them have gone with the same gut, sort of nuts and bolts panel area. Um, let's face it, once other brands start coming on board with that um they will be compelled to compete as closely as they can on price with lg um but whether the uh, the the years that lg have, have sort of had yeah, sort of building up experience and well let's be cynical not releasing sets but you know sort of keeping plugging away in the background whether that's going to start to count and then televisions proportionally get more expensive after that point we don't know uh, I mean, obviously, the market takes, they can't get that much more expensive, but something will probably have to give if, if as and when more, more OLEDs enter the market from brands that haven't been producing them up until now, unless everyone ends up buying them from LG and doing well, different things. Well, yeah, I think CES this year, um, I think we're going to see, and uh, in fact, I'm so confident I'm going to put £10 on the table. Who wants my £10? Well, I don't, because I'll preview the conversation you had, but I'll... <laughs> <laughs> I definitely don't even know something. <laughs> Ed? Dash, I thought I was going to what, make an easy turn. Inside of trading. Okay. What's your bold proposal, Mr. Hinson? Uh, it's no good now. Steve's let the cat out of the bag that, that we've actually been told it, so I can't say it now. Was it Sony? I couldn't possibly say. No, can't comment on this. But yeah, you'd expect to see more manufacturers other than Samsung, I expect, picking up. LG panels and, and putting out yeah, well, TVs. Yeah, well, that puts Samsung in a, a strange position, doesn't it? Because basically, you know, they're, they're never going to get into bed with LG display. No, never. And they, they so what they are doing at the moment is basically poo-pooing OLED. Exactly. Really, really pushing LCD um, down everyone's throat. So, um, I, I mean, unless they're working on OLED of their own in the background. Well, they, they worked on it before, didn't they? I think they did. Just, I think they've just shut up about it now because they knew they couldn't get one out of the door as cheap as LG. So they're, they're working on it just quietly now. Well, they have to be marked, otherwise, they, otherwise they are. You know, I don't think, I don't think I know of anybody else that's produced. Not even the Chinese at the minute. I don't think are producing no. OLED panels. You know, that that might that might change because they can produce them under license, or you'd assume that they're gonna. That's that's one way that they could uh, expand the market and start producing this stuff under license. Yeah, well, but, I mean, we, there's lots of lots of things to play out, but for the moment, it means that whilst you've got existing proven technology, which is relatively cheap to implement, that's what people will be doing, as you know, with considerable determination, and that sort of goes some way to explaining pricing as it currently stands. I think what surprises me isn't just that the prices have plummeted the way they have so precipitously over the last year or so, but also that, as you said, Phil. These are good TVs. We're not talking about sort of like cheap, uh, no brand rubbish here. 
but, but real quality tellies that are, are going for um, really attractive prices. So yeah. you're getting the performance and maybe not all the features you might want, but certainly enough performance and future proofing that it's going to be a valid uh, 4K TV for the next five years. To be, to be honest with you, something like that CX680, I was really not put off at all using that in the living room as my workhorse TV for watching catch-up, watching the news, that kind of thing, the odd documentary, and using Netflix and some of the smart features. I was quite at home with it. Um, mm. I, I found it, the picture quality was more than good enough for that type of role, definitely. <laughs> Excuse you. Mute your mic, Ed. <laughs> You missed a career site. <laughs> I would like a waffle oh, condom right now if I had one. Dear me, I think somebody has to go and dewind Ed. <laughs> so there's no, there's, no, there's, there's no one here to burp me. I'm <laughs> Get the cat to sit on your tummy. I'll teach you to eat your son's barley rusks. <laughs> um. Right, so, I mean, the entry point is getting lower and lower. Um, it's going to be lower again probably come Christmas and uh, we then move into sales season. So it'll be interesting to see what the take-up is. Certainly people should be confident enough now just to double-check the HDCP 2.2, but most of the sets are now up to that standard, aren't they? I don't think there's anything on the market, from the major brands anyway, this year's models that don't have that, as far as I'm aware. Pretty sure that all, all of this year's models. You want to do. check for HDMI 2.0A as well, though. They've not all got if that. It's, if it's HDR supported, that's not that many TVs. There's not that many TVs with no. HDR on, so yeah. True. And then next year, Phil, we know from talking to manufacturers, I think you'll be hard put to find a full HD telling, and certainly not bigger than 32 inches. Well, a lot, of, a lot of them are talking about 70-30 split next year. Yeah. So most, it's going to be mostly old. So any anything being any. Well, I, well I mean, how, how many have we reviewed this year? Three? A couple, four? two, three, yeah. Yeah, I've um, done one, I think. I've, I've done two. I think I've done, yeah, I've, I've done, done two. One, I think. So, yeah, not many. <laughs> when you consider how many we did last year. And 4K was was the, uh, you know, the rare screen to get in. Just shows you how quickly things change. I'll buy the Wizard of Oz in HDR if they do that. Did you see so, the, Yeah, yeah Ed, I would. Phil, sorry. Did, sorry you see, was... did you see the Wizard of Oz in HDR? No. But when we were, um, I mean, obviously... It, when you it, asked him that question, he, he seemed to give the indication that yes, it had been done. Yeah, and um, I mean, obviously, so when I spoke to him, he, he said he was working on quite a number of catalogue titles. He was going through and, and regrading them at 1,000 nits for HDR. So mm. he wouldn't tell me which which movies. But if you think about, you know, Technic, Technicolor do it for just about everybody. So it could be anything. But certainly the connections there with Technicolor when it comes to The Wizard of Oz, because obviously the three-strip Technicolor, it was one of the first films ever to, to be made with that process. So it'd be interesting to see. Yeah. Maybe they could um, maybe they could just junk episodes one, two, and three and remake them <laughs> on film properly. Um, Return to Oz is actually on Sky Movies on Demand at the moment. That film's properly messed up. That is a dark, dark Disney movie, if ever I've yeah. seen one. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen it, to be honest. It's bleak at times, yeah, it, and the wheeler things are profoundly unsettling. Right. Yeah, it's uh, it's really good, actually. Um, but it failed miserably because it is so... It's it's not a good... Yeah, and also <laughs> it, it does also count as perhaps the longest gap between film and sequel... Yeah. In history, <laughs> you know, a, a snappy twenty-eight years or something, isn't it? Oh no, no, you can't. No, it's longer than that. It was a good forty odd years between those. Yeah, forty-five. What years was it? Nineteen ninety-nine was Wizard of Oz. Thirty-nine, and that Hang on, was eighty-three or eighty-four. Something 85, like eighty-five. Eighty-five. Yeah. So yeah. Have I seen it? I don't think I've seen it. But one of the things that really uh, stood out watching the the Blu-ray version of Wizard of Oz recently was you could you could see the map paintings and and you could really see all, all see that. where the set ends and there's yeah. a big the backdrop just beyond still look good though oh yeah look good and you can see the wires that hold the monkeys up can't you? That sort of thing. yeah what there was wires holding a monkey <laughs> those monkeys are scary though I remember as a kid they were quite scary and the reason I was mentioning episodes one two and three is because apparently there's a rumor and I hope to god this isn't true but there are rumours going around that um, Hayden Christensen is currently in training for a cameo in episode eight. How? No, that couldn't have worked. Uh, Hayden Christensen played um, Anakin Skywalker. But no. uh, that couldn't have worked. It would have to be a uh, a ghost. Flashback, maybe. Don't know. I mean, like I said, it's only a rumour, and it doesn't seem like. God, I hope not. Just said, Phil, he's dead. 
<laughs> but um, well, yes, he could be. Maybe he's playing as as a as a as a. Because obviously, he was there as a ghost at the end of the um, remastered or buggered up, depending which way you look at it, version of <laughs> the Jedi. So um, yeah, that's a that's a scary rumor. Scary rumor. Uh, you'd have to hope that now it's in different hands and away from Lucas that they wouldn't make that mistake. Well, I have I watched all of Star Wars Rebels and I have to say I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was excellent. It was some really good stuff. In I that. couldn't I couldn't find it. I went to Tesco's and it wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's getting towards the end. It's really good, uh, and I'm really looking forward to season two now. I think yeah, there's potential there. Really, really. Yeah, but Clone Wars was good as well because it yeah, was no, no, yeah, that was too. And same guy, Dave Filoni. Although Lucas was a lot more hands-on with Clone Wars, he's not involved at all Rebels, and um, I think that extra bit of freedom and the fact it's between episodes three and four, so it's not. The problem with Clone Wars was slightly that you knew what was going to happen to the characters because you knew they couldn't die because they obviously were going to be in the the third film, whereas most of the characters um, in Rebels, you know, are new characters that theoretically could be killed or have something happen to them. And there's some great cameos and surprise appearances as well. I won't spoil it for you, Phil, but it, it's I thoroughly enjoyed it. I watched it pretty much all in one sitting. It takes about five hours, but it's really good. Good, good. I'll, I'll have to go and check Tesco's tonight. It wasn't there last week. I, I looked they did something quite cool as well. A lot of the production design is based upon Ralph Quarry's original paintings. Right. So um, they've got a, they look like Star Wars, but not quite. So it's slightly, you know, slightly different, um, which is nice too. Like I said, there's robots walking around that look like the original design for... Um, C3PO, which was slightly different and that sort of stuff. C3PO, 3PO looks like C3PO, but th- yeah. they, they changed it for other robots. It's, it's got a nice look to it. It's good. Yep. Good stuff. So we're going to move on to movies and we're, we're done with hardware. I think. Yeah, I'm sorry. I just had to, a good hour. <laughs> I had to vanish there. The, the people at Motorola have just tried to collect my phone with no warning that they were coming. And, and also with no information from the courier about who was collecting stuff. So I've got a collection for a package that's a kilo. Who from? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, the number like of times <laughs> we laugh, but the number of times that's happened where I've had two or three TVs ready to go back. And... I've sent one back to the wrong place. But... Yeah, well, I just, yeah I, I've I, had I, that it's before. A, it's a standing, standing policy here that unless you specify the, which courier you're using and they know who they're collecting on behalf of, you run the risk of receiving, you know, you might get lucky and get something massively more expensive than what you sent, but equally you might lose out quite badly. <laughs> but no, it would have, they sent me... The late the shipping label for that at four o'clock on Saturday afternoon, and they've just tried to collect now. I mean, it's still I haven't got any of the packaging sorted or anything like that. No emails, no nothing. Absolute genius. Well done, Motorola. Nicely done. And I dare say that that means I've missed my one shot, and I will now have to get it to them myself. I knew it was too good to be true. I knew we were going to have a rant at some point. Sounded like Josh Widdicombe. Ed did. He sounded like Josh Widdicombe. He doesn't sound West Country at all. I mean, he did then on that rant, just then. Really? My inner, my inner yokel. Have you done a thing where the guy comes to collect something from you one day and then brings it back to you the next? Yeah, I've had yes, that. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. That's happened to me a couple Well, ever since I, I bought myself a huge graffiti-sized Stablo marker, and I now just scrape through every single barcode that's on a box. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's yeah. what I do now yeah. for that particular. Doesn't happen as much. Yeah, well, it was it was one that was supposed to go to market. Came to me, so they arranged for it to be recollected. So it was recollected next again morning. He came back and delivered it back. <laughs> and it's like, no, I just gave you. And it was the same guy. And I said, do you not remember? I just gave you this package yesterday. No, I don't remember that, mate. It's like, do you not remember being in the same house yesterday? <laughs> With the same box. Well, I, I still think I've got the best uh, the best story ever, and that's the guy getting his van nicked. <laughs> He's standing yeah, at my well. door. He probably doesn't necessarily agree with you on that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's all for hardware. We'll move on to movie news next. Okay, Steve, um, what's at the cinema? Cinema this well, last weekend rather was Solace, which is a new film starring Anthony Hopkins as a psychic who helps the police with investigations, and Colin Farrell as another psychic. And um, I saw, basically, I saw this the serial. So the trailer for this, Steve, I just wanted to jump in at that point. Nineteen ninety six. Yeah, yeah, it does, isn't it? You're thinking like this. Yeah, I've the, seen this film a few yeah. times before. I'm thinking of um, what was that one with uh, Denzel Washington? Fallen. <laughs> that was it. Tons of Washington and Fallen. It really reminded me of that. And a whole host of Seven, of course, uh, and a whole host of other films from that period, that sort of late 90s period. 
and that's when it should have been made. Yeah, basically, there's a serial killer, and he's obviously one stop ahead of the uh, police, uh, and that's because basically he can foresee what's going to happen, and then you've got the other psychic coming in to help out. Um, all I can say is I hope it was a big paycheck for the pair of them. Um, he got five out of ten from Sharuna, um, uh, and that seems about right based upon what she wrote. So, yeah, it didn't look at all appealing. I remember watching the trailer at cinema and thinking, like, I'm going to avoid that like the plague. So that's what came out of the weekend. Yeah, I think that's a straight-to-disc normally, wouldn't it? Um, totally, I, I, yeah. I think it's I'm just, surprised it got some release. You're right, actually. It sounds more like a DT direct-to-video I, I think it's just it? probably, you know, the Are we the, now the names starting to it. see the wind down towards Star Wars? Is this literally just... Yes. <laughs> it, it's like, get it, it, no, nothing's doing... Stuff that's been, you know, sitting around ponging up the pre-release vaults. Just get it out there. Yeah, it does what it does. Wipe the slate clean, and no one's going to give. I, think I mentioned I, it I last week, but after the fourth of December, nothing. Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing coming out. Well, the, well, the only the only big film before that is Bond, isn't it? I mean, that that that's this month. Well, I say this. Well, yeah, it's October. No, there's a couple of big titles coming out. There's there's the last Hunger Games movie in November as well. That'll be a big release. Um, and there's obviously Spectra, um, but yeah. It's it's they are winding down for Christmas and basically just everyone's gone on holiday while Star Wars takes over the entire world. <laughs> well, so, the thing well the thing is, have, have they not booked every IMAX screen in the UK yeah. for three weeks? Yeah, they they are they are going to make yeah. a phenomenal amount of money. If only because there's nothing else for people to go and see the cinema. Frankly, yeah. <laughs> although you did mention uh, films coming up this week, um, if if I can manage it, I probably would go at the cinema to see uh, The Martian. I am really looking forward to this. I've read the book, which is excellent. If you haven't read it, I thoroughly recommend it. Um, uh, looking at the trailer, it, it looks as though it, it stays very close to the book, which is excellent. Uh, it's Ridley Scott. Who better to make you know sci-fi and things looking cool and being on Mars? Uh, the, the plot's great. It's got um, uh, Matt Damon as, a guy, as an astronaut. He's stranded on Mars, and basically it's going to take four years for the mission to get back and rescue him. He's got to stay alive for that long. It's really, really good, and this is probably one of my, along with Star Wars, the film I'm looking forward to the most this year. Um, I can't wait to see it. Really looking forward to it. And it was shot native 3D if you're still inter- interested in 3D. No, it was only shot. you, Steve. I mean, yeah, it's only me, but uh, yeah, I, I think this is going to, this looks, it's going to look uh, superb in terms of, you know, Ridley Scott, you know, he's such, such a beautiful life, but uh, in terms of the story as well, if it stays close to the book, it's a really, really exciting and thoroughly researched and realistic. So it's not like Interstellar, <laughs> which was cobblers. This is going to be proper science fiction, as in science fact almost, but with a bit of fiction thrown in. So. See, that's the only thing, though. In Interstellar, he, <laughs> Matt Damon was, was a stranded You see him on Graham Norton, because he was talking about that. He's like, I made a film about a guy stuck on a planet on his own. Then I took a break for a couple of, you know, a year and a half off, and then they got me another part about a bloke stuck on a planet on his own. I was like, you sure you want me for this? <laughs> I'll get typecast. Um, yeah, this, this is going to be everything Interstellar wasn't, in my opinion i.e. proper decent science fiction as opposed to a load of gobbledygook and nonsense. As long as Hans Zimmer's not doing the score again. Oh, someone described <laughs> the score. It's like Hans Zimmer fell asleep at his son and his organ, which about sums up the score for that film. Actually, I'm on a completely different page. I, I actually really quite like the score for that. Um, still Yeah, especially if you've got a good subset up in your room. But, uh, I was like, ding! <laughs> it was an awful film, awful film. So such cobblers, just <laughs> bad on every level. <laughs> just the more I think about it, the more angry I get about it. Okay, well let's move on to what else is coming out this week. Uh, the Intern, which is a comedy uh, with Anne Hathaway as a CEO of a, um, a startup company, and Robert De Niro as a seventy-year-old intern. Um, De Niro really, really should retire, in my opinion, at this point. <laughs> please, 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 Bob, retire. Yeah, you don't have to tell us any more about that film. That, that just, yeah, that's just, enough, isn't it? Yeah, you just that's know enough. it's going to suck. Well, it's like that, that Blackadder goes forth with the Charlie Chaplin telegraph. Yeah, please. please, please, please stop. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. Um, and uh, Cassandra is going to see the intern actually in a pre-release screening this week and The Martian is being reviewed by Cass who's going to see it on Wednesday night When's that Bill Bryson walk in the woods thing out or is that already out? I think that's already come out Going back to saying Robert De Niro should retire I would have said exactly the same thing to Robert Redford but he does appear to it does you know obviously they've probably put every single good bit of the film in the trailer but he, it, that looked you know he was he wasn't being deadly serious it actually looked almost sort of well i'm not going to use the word good that's probably overdoing it but it, it looked tolerable 
which is the did first you? time I could have said that about Robert Redford film in some time. Did he not do one recently where he, he got a lot of good praise? Was was he the one that was in the the, the one with the boat, the sailor? Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh yeah, Kirsty. Well, really he's lost. Yeah. yeah. That was good. No, I think Redford's done. He's Did, got he didn't act so much as just sit there looking wet and sad. Sunburned. <laughs> <laughs> No, uh, De Niro though has been churning out a piece of shit after piece of shit, piece of shit for the last decade at least, or twenty years even. Yeah, I mean, it's just how much money has he got? A big tax bill or something? Because why is he still doing this stuff? Just it's a real shame too, because he was like the best actor of his generation, and to see him just doing this rubbish now and stuff. I think the moment he did the Rocky and Bullwinkle film, <laughs> which you know he produced that too, so he's got no <laughs> really? excuses there. I didn't yeah. know. He had no excuses on that one. But yeah, it's been down. Well, then if, if if he produced it, then he's brave because he, he would have put some of his own money up against that then, obviously. It probably explains why he's doing this. Pay back the money. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's, it's a real shame. I mean, things like Grudge Match, that's just some shockingly poor stuff he's been knocking out recently. Anyway, that's what's out uh, this week. And then on Blu-ray terms, um, coming out today on the 28th, the day of recording, Spooks the Greater Good, which is the, the big screen. I'm uh, sorry, and somebody put the quote underneath Casual Review, but every time somebody says the greater good to me, that's Sanford. That's yeah, yeah. <laughs> top fuzz. Sorry. The greater good. The greater good. <laughs> yep. Which I quite adored at the cinema, actually, though it does really play like a long episode of Spooks, in all honesty. And also Man Up, which is a romantic comedy with Steve Simon Pegg and an uh, American actress called Lake Bell, who does a really good English accent. In fact, one person said her English accent is better than Simon Pegg's. <laughs> okay, so let's go back to Bond, because the theme song was released last week. And it seems, I was going to say, it seems to split people's opinions down the middle, but actually... It hasn't. <laughs> Not really. It hasn't. I don't... I, I haven't heard anybody say that they actually like it. I mean, is the writing on the wall? I mean, I guess it's on, on the title. And he only took, what, 20 minutes to write this? I, th- I think it kind of... 20 minutes too long by the yeah. sounds of it. Is it really the, the worst Bond song ever? I've got to say, in my opinion, yes, because even the stuff that wasn't great Bond songs, like All Time High from uh, Octopussy, I could still hum it. I, this was just a, the first 10 seconds, I thought, well, this sounds quite good, like a Bond song. And then after that, it's just this dirge. No, I, don't I would know, Sam. <sighs> Smith is. I never. I couldn't name one of his songs. He's obviously Very got his bloody his tra- awful. He's obviously got his trousers far too tight. Yeah, he also loosened his belt a little bit. I'm I'm tempted in terms of not being able to hum them. Uh, <laughs> it does. Uh, it then faces stiff competition from another another Daniel Craig. Get that Jack White. I like that song. I think I quite like it. You see, yeah. uh, for for me, it has to be a female singing it. For me, the best Bond songs have been sung by. Females. Oh, I don't know about that, Phil. What about Duran Duran? Awesome. What about them? Aha. Well, yeah, well, Aha. The, the Living Daylight. Right? That's a great Tom Jones. Thunderball. How does that keep, does one explode like a Thunderball anyway? And Louis Armstrong's We Have All the Time in the World. You know? Oh, God, that's brilliant. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, I, I was never a big fan of Scaffold, but after hearing this Sam Smith effort... And I oh, I mean, it's, it's Skyfall is an absolute classic. <laughs> it's a masterpiece. Come back, Adele. All is forgiven. Yeah. You and your apple crumble can come back and do that again. The last decent Bond record, in my probably worthless opinion, was The World Is Not Enough. That was everything a Bond record should be. Uh, I'll top that one by saying that I think, and it wasn't used as a theme tune, it was used at the end of the film, but Surrender by K.D. Lang is absolutely brilliant. And that was a proper Bond. I mean, they should have used that at the beginning instead of um, um, Tomorrow Never Dies. Who did that? Oh, Cheryl Crow, Cheryl wasn't it? Crow. Yeah, that's a bit ropey. Um, but Surrender by K.D. Lang is fantastic. Um, I mean, it must be said, don't get me wrong, it doesn't redeem the film. Um, actually, there are... There's... Christmas Jones, the, the nuclear scientist. Um, <laughs> yes, well... And, you, and there's a joke in that film that you saw coming a good two hours before it's done. Well, there yeah. is that. But <laughs> the other one, the, the, it, the, the thing is, I mean, ironically, the video for The World Is Not Enough was, was more, in many ways, more Bond-esque than, um, than the film it was attached to. And then there is, there's another weird subset of Bond uh, theme songs, which are good records which are still not terribly well suited to being a Bond film soundtrack. And I would definitely say that the Chris Cornell, you know my name from Casino Royale, fits that criteria. It's a good record, but it's not a Bond song. And actually, in some regards, The Living Daylights, it's a great pop record, but not necessarily. Yeah, I mean, it's a good record, but... It It does... What I will say is that its fundamentals then break down beautifully into the actual orchestral score for The Living Daylights, which is very, very good. Just listen mm. to 
as a score. That's a very, very effective piece of film. What, music. what was the other one? Is it a view to a kilt? Yeah. yeah, you know, she didn't like singing the word kill. Um, it's a Gladys Knight, wasn't it? And there's a sort of like a. Just was no, not due to a kill, sorry. Um, license to kill. License, license to, kill. to kill, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. A, she, that's no, a, she didn't like singing kill, apparently. And there's so, a sort of like a hi hatch at it, the end so, of the sounds kill like kilt. It sounds like yeah. kilt, yeah. Licensed it's a license to kill. <laughs> and um, then also, another subset, you get uh, Live and Let Die, which is in so many ways a terrible song, but a great one. And it's a great one. <laughs> I mean, it's. Campy. What about Lulu singing um, uh, A Man with a Golden Gun, which is just pure innuendo from beginning to end? He's got a powerful weapon. Dodge is a million a shot. <laughs> oh, really? But no, it's a t- it, this this current effort is a, it, it it fails on on pretty much every level. I am indebted to the man on my t- on my Twitter feed who described it as a sounds like a sad drunk man shouting into a saucepan. <laughs> And that's just the best description I've heard of it. It's I, for, so for, for me, though, there doesn't seem to be any scale to his voice. He's either screeching or he's too low. There's, there doesn't seem to be any medium ground with him. No, I would agree with that. I also kind of like it when the Bond... I mean, this, this is not always the case, Grant. I could think of a few exceptions. But generally, uh, the Bond theme tune includes the title of the film as a title of the, the song. There's that's a couple exceptions. That's not a consistent... No, there are, there are exceptions. You so, like you said, the Mac, we've got all time in the world, which doesn't obviously include, but you'd be hard put to put a major secret service into a song, I think. Um, the Spy Love Me, it's nobody does it all better. Yeah, the lyrics are in there, though. The Spy Who Love Me. Uh, yeah, he, um, The Spy Love Me is in the lyrics. Yeah. All Time High, yeah, is, is definitely out there. As is Carly- You Know My Name and um, whatever the song was for Quantum of Solace. Um, better Way to Die or something like that, isn't it? Left an indelible right. impression. I, I, I noticed we've completely avoided Madonna here. Now you oh, see, actually, no, this is, an, is odd, an odd one. It's a, it's again judged by the standards of Madonna's output at that time. It's a perfectly passable Madonna record. Again, it doesn't do terribly well as a Bond record. In fact, it doesn't do well at all as a Bond record. But I preferred it to. Uh, I say in terms of in terms of uh, the, the Quantum of Solace one was dull tomorrow never dies one dull at least it wasn't dull um is the only thing i will say for it well produced as well not that that really matters. i'm trying i'm trying to get my time frame is that round about the same time as she did the the hey mr dj with Sasha yes it's all, Cohen? yeah that's all that period was it that had been what 98 was it 97 98 no uh, no it's 2002. 2002 yeah was it really as late as that mm. oh. well hold on yes yeah that was that was 2002 um dying of the day was 2002 anyway because there's two two Madonna albums back to back. There's music, which was all BP, and then um, another it's one. Murder on the Dance Floor or something? Yeah, something like that. Something on the dance, Blood on the Dance which Floor. Which was also BP, Blood on the Dance Floor. So, worst Bond song of all time? Yeah, um, now, now, yeah, now, yeah, now so. they've gone through most of them, yeah, I would have to say. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Mark Kermode made the, made the thing saying, yeah, he wasn't that enamoured by it, but he wanted to see it in context. Oh, Wasn't he listening to the wrong song though at that time? I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, th- I watched it on BBC News over the weekend, like they do their film review thing on a Friday night, I think it is. Um, and he said he wanted to see it in context, or he wanted to hear it in context. With to me, it sounds like he was given a load of clips and he's just stuck some music to it, and it'll probably look all right as a pop video. <laughs> yeah, but I think what Commode was saying, he wants to see it with the titles, because obviously it's a yeah. title track, so he wants yeah. to see it in context in the film. It's just I just I couldn't even tell you what, how it goes now. I've heard it a couple of times and it's just it's no, it's no melody in there. There's no tune. There's no chorus. There's nothing. It's just some bloke screeching into a saucepan, as Ed's just said. It's just you know it's just typical modern movie making, isn't it? You get get to get a big st- well, I say big star. I've never heard of the buddy guy until two weeks ago. Um, but that says more about me, I think, than anything else. Yeah, get someone who's a big record seller in to sell a load of records. I mean, that worked well with Skyfall, but I think whatever Adela put out at that particular time um, would have sold a shed load of records. Yeah, well, I mean, what's, what's was, happened to her? She said she's been having a baby and having a. She, well, she's got a boatload of cash. <laughs> she also <laughs> has a millionaire which, times over. <laughs> she also has a singing style which which fundamentally destroys her own voice every six to eight months. Don't get my wife started on that subject. and it, it, it will be informative, but quite a long explanation. But yeah, she essentially has the seeds of her own own voice frailties in her own style. So yeah, 
that was why I didn't like Skyfall when it first came out. I didn't think it was necessarily a bad song. I just don't like her really affected way of singing. That sort of Skyfall, Apple Grumble. It's just really annoying. Bond is a bit of an oddity. I mean, mo- almost a, a goodly chunk of, 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 of blockbustery films have got a, 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 a song attached to them. And most of them don't in any way, shape or form even reach the stage of passing comments. So at the very least, in terms of Sam Smith's career people are talking about him so you know there is only one thing worse than bad publicity yeah, it's no publicity. i can't be dealing with bond thanks for your input mark it is really <laughs> appreciated like taking part in that conversation there. and on that bombshell that's it for the ev forums podcast this week my thanks to steve weathers anyone who spends a significant amount of time with me finds me dis- disagreeable that's true mark hodgkinson it's impressive to see a man feeding off his emotions and ed selly swat goes before dicks don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook, goodmarkavforums.com for latest reviews, news and video. Plus, remember, leave us five stars on iTunes and we'll read your name out at the start of the show. I'm Phil Hinton, thanks very much for listening and we'll see you again next week. Yeah.